Praise God, praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter 32. We'll read verses 11 through 13. Exodus chapter 32, verses 11 through 13. Verse number 11, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out? to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, will I give it unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak on this subject, swearing by yourself. Swearing by yourself. Moses, in this passage of Scripture here, says to God, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom... Thou swearest by thine own self. Amen. Swearing by yourself. Lord, we thank you and praise you today. I thank you for your presence, the energy in the house of God today, the inspiration that we feel, the challenge to step up just a little bit higher today. We give to you thanks and we worship you and we ask that you would direct us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You can be seated. What a great, great crowd here in the house of God on Sunday morning. There are two watershed crises that take place in the history of Israel, and one of them is that this passage that we have read, this is the golden calf worship that has occurred as Moses comes down from the mountain with what God has given to him. And when he returns, he finds that the people that God led out of Egypt and delivered them with a mighty hand and great power has become very concerned in his absence. And so they are worshiping something that they have fashioned and created. And God is very angry with that activity. This is a watershed moment in the history of Israel. Moses, in this passage of Scripture here, is interceding on the behalf of the Hebrews. And he is saying, God, you cannot consume or you cannot wipe these people that you have brought out of Egypt. You cannot do this because you swore by yourself. And therefore, because of your own honor... Because of your own honor. Moses is in a precarious position to stand between the people and God. And he recognizes that he is the intermediary 
And because that is a precarious position, Moses puts the onus or the weight or the evidence not on himself, but he says, God, your honor will not allow anything but for you to take them all the way through. This is a watershed crisis and moment. God responds to Moses because he has sworn by himself. The second watershed moment is after spending so much time in the wilderness because of their unbelief, they finally move into the promised land and there is a report that is given. The spies come back and they respond and there is a report and two said we can well take the land. And some, eight, said we cannot take the land because we are as grasshoppers in their sight. And the second watershed moment is the report of the spies in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 13. Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou art Lord among this people, and thou art Lord, and you have, and that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them. Thou goest before them by day in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. Moses on the second occasion comes before the Lord and he says, Lord, you cannot do this thing. And the reason why you cannot do this thing is because you have sworn by yourself. And so Moses again aligns himself to point out that God, your honor is great among the world. It's great among your enemies. You have brought them up by a mighty hand. You have delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. You have crossed the Red Sea. You have provided for them. You have given to them. You have been a provider. You're a God that has brought great, great honor. There is no way out of this situation but to move forward because you are great. Moses aligns himself with God's integrity and God's honor. Even when God himself is displeased, Moses says and intercedes and says God's honor is, is, is such that we cannot go backwards. We can only go forwards. There may be a large group and contingency of people that don't want to move forward, but there's a few that want to move forward. And if there's a few that want to move forward, as long as God is on their side, God, your honor declares that you got to keep moving forward, pressing forward, because you're a God that brings out with a mighty hand and great 
power. You cannot go back on your word because your word is true. And I'm going to align myself, put my faith in you and my confidence in you and know that no matter where I am, the only way that we can go is forward. We can't go backward. We can't stay where we are, but we must move forward. And as long as the Lord is on our side, there is a victory that can be had. Things can be done. And Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Praise God. This happens throughout the Old Testament. It happens again at the defeat of Ai after they conquered Jericho. The walls come down to that great fortified city and they move again against a small outpost called Ai and they fail miserably and it was because of Achan's sin. They were not supposed to pick up anything from the nations that they were conquering. The Old Testament, the theme has to do with physical warfare and battle. It's different than the New Testament. We'll get to the New Testament in a minute. But in the Old Testament, God was leading his people that started out few in number, were enslaved, were in bondage. The Egyptians mistreated and abused them. God brought them out from that place into a promised land. It was a much different set of circumstances. They were not worshiping the gods of the world around them. They were worshiping the one true living God. And so in the Old Testament, there was a battle for God's honor. And we see this in these two moments. And then at Ai, they were defeated, and it was because Achan had brought some things into his tent. And because of that, God was displeased. And Joshua, Joshua said in Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 9, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? Again, there is this appeal to God's honor, appeal to God's glory. God, you have to lead us out of this predicament because your name is great. When the children of Israel in their history got to the place where they wanted a king like the other nations around them, Samuel, when he prayed over the people in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 22, he said, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Samuel appeals in that prayer to the honor, the integrity of God. I just want to interject right here that we serve a great God here today. Praise God. And part of the reason I worship him the way that I worship, not only in my physical worship, but in every aspect of my life, is because God is one that is worthy to be honored. 
I've had a lot of things that I've been disappointed in. A lot of people have disappointed me. A lot of political figures and a lot of people in the world that you might put your trust in will disappoint you, even some of the ones that are the very closest to you. But I want to go on record here today that's, and say that God is worthy and he's honorable and he picked me out of situations that were pretty terrible and he's given to me a hope that maketh not a shame. So I want to say here today that God is worthy to be praised. He is honorable to be worshipped. He is worthy to receive glory. And I want to lift up glory and praise to him. Amen. David, when he is facing off against Goliath, again, we're in the Old Testament. And so the pattern in the Old Testament is a battle for God's honor. Somewhere, ladies and gentlemen, in the house of God today, you have to develop some convictions that say, I'm going to live for God, and I'm, I'm not taking up a sword. I'm, we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. But the same conviction that says, you are not going to defy the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's been too good to me. And so you're not going to trample over his name because his name is honorable. You're not going to walk over his goodness because he's been very good to me. You're not going to trample underfoot his mercy. I'm going to defend his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, his goodness. I'm in the house of God today. I got up this morning because I am going to defend God's honor. It's worth coming to the house of God. It's worth worshiping him in the house of God. Not everybody is doing that, but I've got some convictions about the kind of God that I serve. Praise God. He's been too good to me. David looked at Goliath, and Goliath was stepping out in the valley of Elah. There were two outcroppings. I've had the opportunity to stand there, and you can really envision it. Literally, there's two outcroppings. There's a creek that runs through the two outcroppings. I've got in my office five smooth stones that I picked up from the valley of Elah. And I've got them in a little box there. Literally, you can stand on one outcropping and you can yell across that valley and you can hear it resonating. And David, when he gets to the camp and Goliath steps out on that outcropping and he starts defying the God of the armies of Israel, David, David has a conviction that something must be done. And everybody else is running back to their tent because they're fearful and they're afraid and they're hiding. Nobody wants to rise to the challenge. But there was one by the name of David that said, I may be just a ruddy-faced child, but somebody needs some convictions to stand up and say, God's honor cannot go without somebody stepping up and confronting the armies and the enemies of Israel. David said, I'm, I'm ready to go. He said, is there not a cause? And his words are still reverberating from that moment in that valley to 2021. Is there not a cause? Somebody has to have some convictions and say there is a cause that's worth fighting for. There are people 
There are people in this city that are worth fighting for. The kingdom of God is worth fighting for. I want revival. I want to see a move of God. That's worth fighting for. Hallelujah. We don't need dead church. We need a live church. We don't need boring church. We need inspiring church. Why? Because revival is important. David said, I'll defend that. I, I will defend that. I want to bring honor to that. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart because he recognized the value of defending God's honor. This is all throughout the Old Testament. I'm just taking you for a little journey through the Old Testament. We don't live in the Old Testament, but the application is there. Daniel risked his life when he declared Belshazzar had desecrated the sacred vessels of the temple. Now we're at a period of history where the children of Israel had fallen into captivity and they were carried off into Babylon. And Belshazzar took all the vessels of the temple, the things that were meant for the worship and, and the activities in the house of God, and he brought them to Babylon. And in one particular party, he decided that he would bring out the vessels that were used in sacrifices to God and that they would party with those vessels. And Daniel was an individual in Babylon, and there was a hand that started writing on the wall. It scared Belshazzar so much that he asked for Daniel to come and interpret that. And Daniel was in the precarious position of, of interpreting correctly what was written on the wall. And this is what he said. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all of this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of the house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron, wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified? You haven't honored him. Then was the part of the hand sent from him. And this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Meanie, meanie, tico, you farson. And this is the interpretation of the thing. Meanie, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tico, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Daniel said to Belshazzar, you have not honored God, but you have dishonored God. And somebody needs to stand in the gap and tell you what the interpretation is. And I am here, even at the cost of my own life, to defend the honor of of God. The Old Testament is complete with individuals honoring God. As redemption history reaches its goal in Jesus, and we move from the Old Testament, and we move into the 
New Testament and the Old Testament completes its course, something changes with a physical representation and a physical fight and a physical battle, and it moves into a spiritual internal battle. We're not here today fighting flesh and blood, but I will tell you this. There's a spiritual warfare that you're involved in every single day of your life. And the scripture tells me that the accuser of the brethren is only coming but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. The accuser of the brethren wants to destroy you. God wants to build you up. The accuser of the brethren wants to rob you, but God wants to provide you treasure in the house of God. Can I get a witness in this place here today that God has provided great things for you? You are not a people. You didn't have a future and you didn't have a hope, but thanks be to God, God gave you a hope and he gave you a future and he gave you a treasure in the house of God. Praise God. And you're here with a testimony that God has been very, 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 very good to me. It's the enemy that would love to snatch that from you. But I want you to know with the same tenacity of the Old Testament figures, I'm going to have convictions about what I've got. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to battle for it. I'm going to deal with it because God has been so very good to me. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together in the house of God. Hallelujah. The focus becomes on matters of the heart and then <laughs> really starts narrowing it down to the motivations of the heart. Not necessarily what you could do physically to fight, but can you fight spiritually in the spirit so that you can really, really get at the motivations. It's not enough to do the right thing. It's not enough even to have a growing or a stable character but what is really what really matters in Jesus ministry is can you regularly assess why you're doing what you're doing? Praise God. What are the motivations of your heart? Are they self-serving acts to attract praise from peers? Or is it a grateful heart attuned to the glory of God that says, I'm doing everything I'm doing because I love God and I want to give him glory. And my interior motivation at serving him is what is driving what is exterior I'm not putting on a self-serving act I'm not I'm not following manipulations and motivations but God I want you to know in the house of God today I want my heart to be right I want my spirit to be right did you pray that in the house of God today was that the reason why you came to church God I want to make sure when I leave this place I leave this place and I'm in right standing with you I'm not clothed in my own righteousness but I'm clothed in your righteousness it's not my own works but it's your mercy it's your mercy and Jesus Jesus was constantly revealing the fulfillment of what had taken place in the Old Testament defending his honor became 
making sure your heart is right in the New Testament and approaching it with the same zeal and the same passion as David picking up five smooth stones and approaching Goliath, as Daniel interpreting on the wall for Belshazzar, as Moses who was standing in the gap for the people of Israel. Now it becomes something that each and every one of us has the ability to, to take that same action and apply it individually to our heart and life. And in the scripture, there was constant skirmishes between Jesus and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 2, even the way that one is supposed to pray. When you do your alms, do not sound the trumpet as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand doeth, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father which seek, seeth in secret shall reward thee openly when you give to God. It's not to be given so that other people can see what you give. It's a matter of your heart. It's a condition of your heart. He said, when you pray, don't pray on the corners of the streets that people will see you. Don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Don't stand on the street corners. Make sure your motivations are right. Make sure your heart is right. Check your motives. The Old Testament pattern of action and defending God's honor becomes a New Testament inward motivation to make sure that my spirit is right and my heart is right. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Paul was looking for a day in which all the facade is stripped away and God really gets at the matters of the heart, the hidden things of darkness, making manifest the counsels of the heart. Praise God. I know and recognize that humanity has the ability to put up great facades. Can I just tell you as a brother, amen, and as a sister in the house of God today, we need to be real. We need to not put up facades and act out stuff that's not really true, but God, let my heart be right. Amen. Let my attitude be right. Let my spirit be right in the house of God. I don't want to compare myself to others. That means nothing. But I want a holy ambition to seize the day of opportunity to promote what God is doing in the world. We have a great opportunity, church, to be a revival church. We have a great opportunity to work in the rule of God, not the rule of the world. We have a great opportunity to see the Holy Ghost do a unifying work instead of disorder and chaos and manipulation. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for the love of God. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for the power of God. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for the grace of God. 
that pulls people out, directs them, that gives them the ability and the skill set to say, I'm a child of God, rather than hanging their head down as if they'll never amount to anything. No, God has called you. God has called them, and he's calling us to do the work of the kingdom. I want to get involved in the work of the kingdom. I don't want to sit idly by. God, help me put my hand to the plow. I want to see revival. as a leader act with initiative and boldness and not be paralyzed by morbid introspection how do you get at inward motivations without second guessing them that comes with ruthless honesty as we come to a conclusion here today it's not an Old Testament action. It's an inward motivation. And if it's an inward motivation, what forms and shapes that inward motivation? It's the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of the soul and spirit and gets into the joints marrow. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that forms and shapes. Psalm 19 and verse number 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The meditation of my heart. The words of my mouth are going to be shaped by your word. Psalm 51 and verse number six. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Everyone say inward parts. He desires truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Psalm 139 and verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. This idea of inward motivation put Jesus on a collision course with the Pharisees about the Sabbath, about fasting, about ritual washings, about tithing, about everything because they had a firewall in between God and their heart. They were doing the right actions, but their motivations were wrong. This is why Jesus schooled them time and again on the Sermon of the, the Mount when he said, you're not committing adultery, but you have done it in your heart, the inward motivation. Your actions are right, but there's a firewall between your actions and your heart. In that day, their actions were right and their heart wasn't right. In our day, the actions are wrong and the heart is wrong. But in their day, there was a firewall. There 
was something that separated them from God. And the only thing that penetrates into that world is when the word of God comes and directs. It's a penetrating power of the living word that is able to root out and get at some things. There's some things, there's a lot of counsel and wisdom and a lot of things that you can pursue in life that might help you. But I want to tell you and testify today, there is nothing like the word of God that can dig some things out of your heart and life, that can stabilize you, that can direct you. If it was not for the word of God, we wouldn't have an anchor. If it wasn't for the word of God, there wouldn't be a foundation. We would be like the man that was standing and building his house on shifting sand. But the word of God becomes a rock. It becomes a foundation. It becomes something that is stable. When the word of God speaks into my heart, the word of God digs some things out that nobody else can. This is why the word is so very important. This is why we read the word in the house of God every service because by its very nature, it is powerful. When it's read, it's powerful. When it's spoken, it's powerful. When it's preached, it's powerful. It's the word that digs out some things. I want you to know we need a revival of the word of God. Hallelujah. We need to read it. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate upon it because it's what's going to save you. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in sensationalism. I'm not interested in entertainment. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying in the house of God today? I'm not interested in entertainment. I'm not interested in sensationalism. I'm interested in the preaching of the word. It's the foolishness of preaching that is going to save the lost. If somebody didn't preach to me, I wouldn't be here. If somebody didn't let the word of God have free course and free reign. I wouldn't be in the house of God today, but his word was a strength to me. His word was a light to me. His word was a sword and a power to me. Praise God. It's a penetrating word. And when you take careful attention to one's heart motivation and the word of God molds and shapes you, you avoid the pitfalls of personal reputation and status and image and popularity and recognition and success as defined by people around you. And you work for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of self. It is also one of the things that helps you in the middle of a, a world of confusion and turmoil to have some kind of balance and not always operate on your emotions and on your feelings. Praise God. It's the word of God that gives me that strength to say, I don't see it, but I'm trusting in the word of God. <laughs> Has anybody ever been there before? I don't feel it, but I'm still going to trust in God because his word is true. And my feelings cannot dictate the direction to which I take 
but the word of God must direct me. I'll be honest with you. There's sometimes I haven't felt it at all. I would have gone a completely different direction had it not been some for some verses in my mind and in my heart that said, wait a minute, the word of God is what directs and guides me, not my emotions. I'm not saying that we're not emotional people. We are emotional people. The entire Psalms are written out of emotions of people that are giving words to God that God ends up accepting and sending them back down as the word of God so that we would know our emotions are secure with God. And so we're emotional people. If you, if you don't have any emotions, then you become a very interesting individual. You have to have emotions. The, the problem is when our emotions are out in the forefront of every decision that we make. My emotions are there. Sometimes I am upset and angry with life situations and circumstances. Praise God. But I recognize I can't make a decision based on those feelings. I've got to go to the Word of God and the Word of God gives me direction direction so that it can direct my emotions because my emotions without the word of God is without any kind of lane. It's, I'm, I'm out of my lane. I'm, I'm going in wrong directions, but the word of God directs me and keeps me in the lane. And so the emotions may, may be, I'm not very happy. I'm upset. I am angry. There are things that have happened that I, I don't really care for, but God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of all of this. Your word is going to be a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my pathway. Job said, though he slay me, I will trust him. Every emotion that Job went through, he was still anchored by the fact that naked came I into this world and naked I'm going out of this world. I'm going to trust in God. I've come to preach to somebody today. You may not feel it. You may be in situations that are not the best, but if you just keep trusting in God, God. If his word will still be something that you can put your confidence, he'll keep you, he'll establish you. He will sustain you. Praise God. Anybody, is there a witness in the house here tonight? I can't base things on just my emotions. Emotional reasoning is letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. Emotional reasoning is letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. It's the word that has to guide your interpretation of reality, not your emotions. Praise God. And then there is a long list of things. If you're not careful, you will fall into the trap of the enemy over generalization, perceiving a global pattern of negatives on the basis of a single incident. That's over generalization. One thing, and therefore everything must be bad. Dichotomous thinking, all or nothing, viewing events or people in all or nothing terms. Mind reading, assuming that you know what people think without having sufficient evidence of their thoughts. Labeling, assigning global negative traits to yourself and others. Negative filtering, you focus almost exclusively on the negatives and seldom notice the positives. 
discounting the positives, claiming that the positive things you or others do are trivial so that you can maintain a negative judgment, blaming, focusing on other people as the source of your negative feelings so you can refuse to take responsibility for changing yourself. These are all emotional things that end up painting our reality. And in the world that we live in today, this is where we are, where we allow emotions and all of these things that I've just listed here color our reality. I've come today to tell you the word of God is what has to paint the picture of reality. Praise God. God is in control, not humanity. God is sovereign. And ultimately, it's God that wins, not the enemy of your soul. My reality is painted by what I felt in the house of God today. I felt his anointing and his presence and his ability. That's reality. Jesus said this is how you should pray, that heaven comes down on earth. Hallelujah, that you feel a touch of heaven on earth when we come to the house of God or when you just lift your hands and say, Jesus, I love you. There is a connection that is made that is reality. That's not a lie, sir. That's not a lie, ma'am. That's the reality. God understands and wants us to know that he wants to be a part of what we're doing in the house of God here today. I want reality reality to be his word that molds and shapes my life and that directs me not these other things and this is the world that we live in our young people live in this world something happened in 2000 around 2013 as the musicians come this morning the idea that college students should not be exposed to offensive ideas is now a majority position, and it started in 2013. In 2017, 58% of college students said it is important to be a part of a campus community where I am not exposed to intolerant and offensive ideas. Fifty-eight percent. Some would say, well, that's probably the liberal students. Sixty-three percent of liberal students, but 45 percent of conservative students. Across the whole spectrum, this notion that a university should protect its students from ideas that some of them find offenses is a repudiation of a legacy of individuals like Socrates, who described himself as the gadfly of the Athenian people. He thought it was his job to sting, to disturb, to question, and thereby to provoke his fellow Athenians to think through their current beliefs and change the ones they could not defend. Among the most universal psychological insights in the world's wisdom traditions is that what frightens and dismays us is not the external events themselves but the way that we think about them it's the way that we think about them
The word of God has to shape and direct my motivations and my heart. This is why John said in Matthew chapter 25. John said he must increase and I must decrease. He's got to become greater and I've got to become smaller. My feelings, my emotions, all these things that revolve around my life have to be directed by the word of God. Praise God. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. My heart's got to be right in the house of God today. My spirit's got to be right in the house of God today. And the thing that molds and shapes that is the word of God. I'm not taking up arms and fighting anybody today, but I am fighting a spiritual battle and a struggle to make sure my heart is right. Praise God as we stand together in the house of God today. When my heart is right, releases me from being inflated by triumphs or dismayed by setbacks. I got to move closer to God. I was talking to somebody just recently and they said, I just get disappointed because you make such great connections and then they disappear and they're gone. And so I'm disappointed in that particular ministry. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If your heart's right, and the word of God is molding you or shaping you, you just keep reaching. You're not going to reach everybody and some are going to walk away, but there are going to be some that say, you know what? I want to follow the same path that you're following because I want my heart to be right as well. And so when my heart is right, I'm not inflated by the triumphs and I'm not dismayed by the setbacks. I've got to move closer to God. Praise God. Swearing by yourself. In the Old Testament, swearing by itself says, God, you're, you're worthy of honor. In the New Testament, swearing by yourself is, I want to make sure my heart is right before God. Praise God, and his word's going to help me do that. And all over this sanctuary here today, why don't you lift your hands and why don't you pray that prayer? God, make my heart right before you, my attitude right before you. Give me a love for the kingdom of God and the work of God. Praise God. All over this building you see individuals. I pray that your anointing and your hand and your ability reach out to them in this place. Praise God. I feel your anointing. I feel your touch in this place. Praise God. want to be motivated in the house of God. Praise God. I want to be motivated in the house of God. Praise God. I pray that you would wash and cleanse and renew. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I can be
special prayer today. If you have a need in your body, praise God. If you're praying about something, you want to step forward today in the house of God as they prepare to sing again. We will pray for you. That God's healing is anointing his touch and his hand.
together for what he is doing even when we don't see it we don't feel it we know that his word is a strength to us that propels us forward hallelujah come on let's thank him together god i thank you i praise you and worship you for what i don't see amen what i don't feel i'm putting my confidence in your word i thank you and worship you praise god i thank you for people i don't even see in the house of god i know they're coming i thank you for a work that you're doing beyond what goes beyond what i can even think or imagine and i give to you thanks clap your hands unto the lord god is doing a work we're going to continue to trust him praise him in jesus name we pray amen let the holy ghost go with you today we'll be here tonight 5 30 in the well to pray service begins tonight six o'clock we're going to have a celebration of god's goodness god bless you greet somebody on the way out make sure that they know that you welcome them and are so happy that they are with us today.